Now our scripture reading today will be taken from Daniel chapter 2, and it's a lengthy passage, but we're going to cover it all this morning. We'll begin at verse 24 and go to the end of the chapter. Daniel chapter 2, we're going to be in verse 24 down to verse 49. Follow along as I read the scriptures today, Daniel 2 verse 24, and here's what we read. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence, and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Then Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. As for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future. And he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than in any other living man, but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king, and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue, that statue which was large and of extraordinary splendor was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we shall tell its interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. And wherever the sons of the men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them all. You are the head of gold. After you, there will arise another kingdom inferior to you. Then another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth. Then there will be a fourth kingdom, as strong as iron. Inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things, so like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these things in pieces." In that you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron. It will be a divided kingdom, but it will have in it the toughness of iron, inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. As the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery." In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, 
and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present him an offering and fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was at the king's court. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word and to the exposition of it to follow. And before we look at this incredible passage of scripture, let's bow and look to the Lord. Father, thank you so much for the word. We thank you that we can have a sure word of prophecy whereby we may know thee and know thy future. We're grateful, Lord, for what you've revealed here, and may your word minister to our minds and hearts today, and for that we'll thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I got up one morning this week, and I said to Mary, I had a dream last night about Demi Moore. (laughs) And she said, well, what was the dream? I said, I dreamed that I was actually confronting her with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I said to her that the only way she was going to find fulfillment and meaning would be to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Now I've thought about what in the world brought that all about in the middle of the night. And as near as I can determine, there are two things that triggered that. First of all, she had been discussing a camping episode that we had in the state of Idaho when we lived there. And on that camping episode, we saw Bruce Willis and Demi Moore who were in that part of the region. They happened to have a cabin there, and so we saw them and passed them on the road. Secondly, the day before, I had also spoken with someone from the state of Idaho, and it was probably that that prompted the dream. Research in the scientific world has determined that we dream every night. The fact of the matter is most dreams we do not ever remember because they occur in what is called our REM sleep, our rapid eye movement sleep, and we're at a real state of unconsciousness there, so we don't remember our dreams. But research has also concluded that we do dream, and we may remember some dreams, and we dream for a variety of reasons. We may dream because of poor blood circulation. We may dream because of improper ventilation. We can actually have dreams because we are in an uncomfortable sleeping position. You may dream because of what you eat or what you don't eat. It was Sigmund Freud who believed that people who have bad dreams do so because their stomach was upset by something they ate the night before. And the Bible does seem to support by Isaiah 29, 8, that food and drink may affect what you dream. Also, we may dream because of what we've been thinking about, what we were reading, what we were watching before we went to bed. There are many reasons you can dream, but none of the reasons that we dream are the reasons why Nebuchadnezzar dreamed. Dreams today are not revelatory dreams from God. The fact of the matter is God speaks to us today through his word. He's given every believer his Holy Spirit, and that makes revelatory dreams absolutely unnecessary. And as a believer prays, as a believer meditates on the word of God by the power of the spirit of God, one will be guided into the perfect will of God and it doesn't come through a dream. Fact of the matter is, even when dreams were operative, there were several warnings given to be on the lookout for false dreamers. So even back at a time when God was using dreams and did speak through dreams, he gave a great warning to watch out for people who say they have a dream from God. 
We need to understand that before the inspired scriptures were written, certain dreams were revelatory and that God inspired them. If you go through the Old Testament, you will discover that there are 16 dreams recorded, and I've listed them for you, given the references in your notes. The purpose of those dreams was to reveal God's program and will, very often to reveal the prophetic program and will of God through a dream. If you look carefully at that list of those who dreamed, you'll be impressed with those who aren't on the list. Moses apparently didn't dream. Joshua didn't dream. David is not recorded to have dreamed. Neither is Samuel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. These were men who were used mightily by God. They wrote inspired scripture, but apparently they didn't dream. Furthermore, if you look into the New Testament, you will discover that the list of dreams really goes down, it lowers. It goes down to only six dreams recorded in the New Testament, and four of the six pertain to Joseph, the husband of Mary. And the other two are definitely connected to the Lord Jesus Christ, wise men from the East who saw in a dream that they should go visit this one, and in a dream not return the way they came, and also Pilate's wife who had a dream. The purpose of a New Testament dream was to reveal God's will in certain situations. Remember, these dreams occur at a time when the written word of God is not in existence. So how would Joseph know, for example, that he should go to Egypt? How should he know he should go back to Israel and then go on to live in Galilee? He can't open a Bible and say, well, here's the verse that tells me where I should go. The fact of the matter is God revealed things to Joseph in a dream. And again, if you look at the dreams in the New Testament, you'll be impressed with who isn't on the list. Paul, who had visions, is not said to have had a dream. Neither is Peter, neither are Luke or John, who wrote a lot of the New Testament. You see, their revelatory data did not come through dreams. Now, according to Revelation chapter 22 and verse 18, no one is to add anything to God's written word. We have the entire inspired scriptures before us. Our job is to carefully understand the 66 books. God's revealed will does not come today through a vision or dream. In fact, one who thinks it does is either ignorant of the Bible or one who's false. But when Nebuchadnezzar had his dream, it was a true revelatory dream from God. I'm not sure he recognized this was a revelatory dream from God, but what he did recognize is this was a dream that needed to be interpreted. In fact, he said, if I don't get an interpretation, I'm going to kill all the wise people in the land. So God gave Daniel knowledge of the dream. But not just knowledge of the dream, he also gave him the interpretation of the dream so that he can unlock the meaning of it for King Nebuchadnezzar. But there's something that I want you to see from this text, ladies and gentlemen, that is very profound and very practical. And it is simply this. We are never more honorable and we are never more usable than when we are able to unravel the mysteries of the word of God. When we can give an accurate interpretation of God's word, when we're able to unlock the truth of the Bible, we are at our highest level of honor and usability. Daniel is faithful to reveal God's truth, and he's highly honored for doing that. And I want you to carefully notice, although I'm not going to take time to point it all out this morning, that Daniel will reveal this dream systematically from head to toe. He doesn't bounce around and say, well, let me talk about this first and go down here and talk about the middle part. He moves right straight through it in the order of the dream. That's exactly the way God expects us to handle his precious word. Just recently, the Supreme Court has made a decision to allow government in certain instances to take people's homes and property. When you can connect this decision to the prophetic program of God, which is definitely moving toward a one-world government, 
you are at a very high, honorable, and usable level. When you can look at the rise of oil prices, when you can look into present history, and you can connect biblical events pertaining to Israel, Iraq, Russia, or Europe, or China, and you begin to point out and pinpoint certain things that are falling into place, you're at the same honorable level that Daniel was when he marched into Nebuchadnezzar and revealed this dream. Now, there are three main narrative parts to this story that I want to show you. First of all, Daniel reports to Nebuchadnezzar to reveal his dream. And there are three steps in the process of how he got before Nebuchadnezzar to give this report. First of all, Daniel reports to Arioch, verse 24. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch. Now, Arioch was the man who had been appointed to kill the wise men of Babylon. So Daniel first goes to him and lets him know he can take him before the king and he would interpret the dream. You didn't just walk in before the king without following proper channels of authority. And I want to bring that point out, ladies and gentlemen, because if we keep in mind that at this point, Daniel has been given special revelation from God. Daniel has actually heard from the God of heaven. We may conclude that when a person is right with God, when a person is walking close with the Lord, when a person is powerfully used of God, he does not usurp authority, but he submits to authority. Just because Daniel knew the plan of God, he could have busted in before Nebuchadnezzar, but he goes through proper channels to get an appearance before Nebuchadnezzar. I was just talking with someone who was trying to describe a person who they believed was very godly, but this person that they were describing as being very godly was doing something contrary to the word of God. And what I said was, if this person is so godly, why don't they obey the Bible? You see, it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to do it. Daniel was one who was in, in the context of having heard from God, he's in proper authority, submitted to proper authority, and he goes to Arioch. Step two, Arioch reports to Nebuchadnezzar, verse 25, Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him, I found a man among the exiles from Judah. Now, Arioch quickly brings Daniel into Nebuchadnezzar and he distorts the facts. He says, he found the man. He says, I found the man from the prisoners of Judah who can give a proper interpretation of the king. He didn't find him. Daniel found him. Daniel went to Arioch and told him he could give an interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. But Arioch is not about to give credit to God. He wants the credit. The fact of the matter is Arioch was trying to gain favor of the king. But what is so interesting about this is that the king does not end up promoting Arioch. He ends up promoting Daniel and his three friends. Sometimes you'll hear this kind of arrogant nonsense in the arena of spirituality. You'll hear people say, I led them to Christ. We don't lead them to Christ. The Spirit of God brings them to Christ. We plant and water, but God gives increase. It's that same idea that wants to take credit for something that, that really isn't our credit to take. That's what Arioch was doing here. Now, you'll also notice the step three, Nebuchadnezzar asked Daniel if he can interpret the dream. Verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar says to him, the king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I've seen and its interpretation? Daniel answers the king in a way that truly gives glory to God. 
Daniel has composure in this crisis, composure that he only had from knowing that he's right with God. Dr. Walvard said this is a masterpiece of giving glory to God when Nebuchadnezzar asked Daniel if he can interpret this dream. And I want you to notice that there are four answers that Daniel gives to the king's question. Number one, no man by his wisdom can interpret this dream. That's what he says in verse 27. As for the mystery about the king as inquired, neither wise men, conjurer, magician, nor diviner are able to declare it to the king. Daniel immediately diffuses any idea that any man could do this on their own. Nobody could just figure out this dream like it's a mathematical problem. Daniel's point is no man on earth can reveal this dream to Nebuchadnezzar or the interpretation of it. Only God can do it. Now there are people running around today who claim that they can reveal things about God on their own. There are frauds who are running around saying they can reveal the future. There are fortune tellers that are making millions of dollars by and astrologers by saying things that they can't do. If they can actually reveal the future, why don't they ever win the lottery? Why don't they ever pick the right numbers and have them win the lottery? The fact of the matter is they can't reveal the future. No man can. Only God knows the future from beginning to end. Secondly, no man by his magical or demonic power may interpret the dream. That's what he says in verse 27. They're not able to declare it, whether they're a conjurer, a magician, or a diviner. That's a polite way of saying there's no branch of Babylonian religion or power or education that can do this. And I want you to know that answers to life's questions cannot come from some of the most astute scholars in the world. They must come from God. And if you want to know answer to future questions about your life, don't be going to a Ouija board. Don't be going to a seance or a palm reader. Go to God. Ask God about your future. Ask God about what he wants for your life. He's the one in a position to give answers. I'm amazed at how many people are running to this counselor and that counselor instead of to the counselor who has given us a book that gives us the wisest counsel that's ever been put in print. It's the Word of God. We should be quick to run to Him and ask Him for help and guidance. That's what Daniel did. His third answer is only God in heaven may interpret the dream. That's what he tells him in verses 28 and 29. Daniel informs Nebuchadnezzar that God is the one who had revealed his future program. God had revealed the future program that Nebuchadnezzar had been thinking about, and he was going to reveal the whole program to Nebuchadnezzar of what would happen in latter days. Now, all of the visions that Nebuchadnezzar received in the dream were visions that would include the world powers that would exist from the time of Nebuchadnezzar, which was 600 B.C., until Christ returns at his second coming to set up his kingdom and reign on earth forever and ever. In other words, God revealed all of this to Nebuchadnezzar in a dream and through visions that he put in his mind. What God ended up doing by this dream was revealing to Nebuchadnezzar predictive prophecy. Nebuchadnezzar was enabled by God to see the word of God in a dream, but he could not make any sense of what he saw. He could only see that it was there, but he couldn't figure out what it meant. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that is the way it is with those who do not have a close relationship with the Lord. They can see words that are printed in the Bible, but they can't make sense of them. There are many liberals who can look into the scriptures, but they can't figure out what it means. They need someone that has a spiritual mind, someone with spiritual wits to unlock it for them. I knew of a professor of Greek who had his doctorate in the Greek language, and he could look at New Testament Greek and see grammatical structures, the likes of which very few could. 
The problem is he couldn't make sense of the doctrine of it. He could analyze Greek things at a genius level, but he couldn't put that in some spiritual context. In fact, Dr. Charles Ryrie called that particular man an eschatological agnostic. Now this, ladies and gentlemen, shows me and you that you are needed in your world. You see, there are a lot of people that own Bibles. There are Bibles in motels, there are Bibles in homes. And a lot of people go to churches and they own Bibles. What is needed are those that understand those Bibles that can unlock what they mean. So you're needed on your job. You're needed in your family. You're needed in your school. You're needed in your relationships. Because you're needed to be able to unlock the truth of God like Daniel did. Daniel's fourth answer is God revealed this to Daniel, not because he was more wise than others, but because he wanted Nebuchadnezzar to understand what he saw. That's what he tells him in verse 30. Now, Daniel was a very spiritual man and humble man. He's giving all of the glory for this to God. And I want you to notice he diverts the attention from himself to God. The fact is, at this moment, he's the wisest man on earth. He's the most spiritual man on earth, but he does not see himself as such. He's giving all the glory to God. Now that brings us to the second part of the narrative. Daniel reveals the dream and the interpretation of the dream. Now before we take a look at this, let's ask ourselves this question. Why would God give this dream to Nebuchadnezzar? And why would he give the dream to Daniel and let him interpret the dream? And the answer to that question, as near as I can determine, is this. God wanted his people to know that even though there were powers dominating them, he was not finished with them, and he still had a plan for them, and he still had a purpose for them. He wanted his people to understand, I'm still going to use you, and I'm still going to bless you. Ladies and gentlemen, that is what understanding the Word of God will do. Understanding the Word of God in the midst of this deranged world will encourage you, it will motivate you, and it will instruct you. The more we know of the Scriptures, the more encouragement we will get. That's why God revealed this to Daniel, and that's why he's going to set it forth to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, there are two observations we make about this dream. First of all, the dream revealed, verses 31 to 35, in this text, and also in Daniel chapter 7. We have the entire course of Gentile world power given in a dream to Nebuchadnezzar that will include Israel's captivity from the time they were under the Babylonian captivity under the authority of Nebuchadnezzar until the second coming of Jesus Christ. Nebuchadnezzar is given the ability to see God's program with Gentile powers from the world's perspective. He's going to see this colossal man. Later, when Daniel reveals it again in Daniel chapter 7, you're going to get to see this from God's perspective, and he'll view this as a beast. Daniel sees Nebuchadnezzar as a colossal man, but God's assessment of these powers is beastly. Now, verse 31 says, You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. Verse 31 informs us that the king saw one large statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. This king saw this large statue. It shined brightly. The statue was standing right in front of Nebuchadnezzar, and it had human form. It was awesome, and it was impressive. I like what Renald Showers did from Friends of Israel, and we've given you his drawing of his perception of it on the back page of your notes. I think it's a good possibility of the kind of thing that Nebuchadnezzar saw. It's possible that in the dream, he was looking into the sky, he saw it standing in the sky, which would indicate this was over him and over the world. 
Now, there are two parts to the dream. First of all, you have the dream described in verses 32 to 33. The head of the statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly, its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Now, why does Daniel first describe the dream and give the interpretation second? Why doesn't he just say, okay, here's the head, here's what that means? Because you'll recall this is what the king wanted. He wanted the dream told first, and then he wanted the interpretation of it, and that is precisely what Daniel does. Now, the image that is described for Nebuchadnezzar, the dream which he saw is that of a human body, and this human body contained five features. We'll notice that as the description unfolds, the metal deteriorates. As you go from the top of the head down to the feet, things deteriorate. They deteriorate in quality. The metal deteriorates. It also deteriorates in gravity. Its head down to the foot, the gravity is going down. Also, it deteriorates in honor. You go from the head, which is the high place of honor, down to the feet. It deteriorates in authority. You have a sovereign king who's calling the shots in the head of gold. And by the time you get to the feet, you've got a divided power. And you've got it spread out amongst many. So you've got a division of authority. And biblically speaking, we know it deteriorates because in verse 39, Daniel says, After your kingdom, there will arise another kingdom inferior to you. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, what you see here in this image is a deterioration from top to bottom. And the reason for this deterioration is that the powers deteriorate in the program of God. And as time goes on, power is going to deteriorate and become less and less valuable in God's estimation, at least pertaining to righteousness. That does not mean they're less usable. God still controls and uses all powers according to his plan. But I want you to see that. I want you to think about that. This world is not going to become a prettier place to live. This world is not going to get better. It's going to get worse. As we near the end, things are not going to progress. They're going to deteriorate. This world is not going from a place that's more moral. It's going to a place that's more evil. And the fact of the matter is, even though this perhaps will rub some the wrong way, I don't believe democracy is the best form of government. We know it isn't biblically speaking. A theocracy is the best form of government where God rules. Fact of the matter is, when power gets spread out, you have bizarre things. The thing about Nebuchadnezzar is that he certainly recognized the power and authority of God, and as a national political leader who controlled the world, he sent that signal to the whole world. But the fact of the matter is, ever since then, that hasn't happened. Now, there are five features that are brought out in verses 32 and 33 about this image. First of all, it had a head made of fine gold. Now, later in the book of Daniel, in chapter 7, this same political power, and I want to do this for you so that you'll have records of this, will be symbolized as a lion. So the head of fine gold will be symbolized as a lion in chapter 7. Secondly, it had a breast and arms made of silver. Later in Daniel, this same political power will be symbolized by a bear and also by the symbol of a ram. Chapter 7, it will be a bear. Chapter 8, it will be a ram. Daniel will actually identify this power by name, and we'll see that a little later. Thirdly, it had a belly and thighs made of bronze. Now, later in the book of Daniel, in chapter 7, he will symbolize this power by the imagery of a leopard, and he will also symbolize this power in chapter 8 by the imagery of a male goat. And also, later in the book of Daniel, Daniel will identify this power by name. Then, fourthly, it has legs made of iron. Later in Daniel, the same political power will be seen in chapter 7 as the most ferocious political power of all. 
The fifth feature is it will have feet partly of iron, partly of clay. The last power will be a power that will be a ferocious power, but it will be a mixed power, not a pure power. What that simply means is there will be many different ethnic groups of people that will end up comprising the last power. Now you have that first given in part in his description to Nebuchadnezzar. Secondly, he has the image destroyed in verses 34 to 35. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Now verses 34 and 35 prove that God's kingdom on earth will not come through Christianization, but it will come through destruction of world power. And this, ladies and gentlemen, purely coincides with Revelation, which tells us that Jesus Christ, Revelation chapter 19, will come back and he will smite the nations. It is revealed in the book of Revelation, and later in the book we're going to go to several passages in Revelation. It's revealed in Revelation that Jesus Christ will crush powers. This world will never become a nicer place on its own. It's going to become more and more wicked. But can God use you in this world? You bet he can, if you're like Daniel. If you can unravel the truth of God and you stay faithful to the Lord, you can be greatly used by the Lord. Daniel continued to explain to Nebuchadnezzar that he saw a stone cut out without hands and it came and it crushed the image and there was not a trace of it left. And it blew away like chaff of the wind and the stone became a mountain that covered the whole earth. What Daniel is describing here to Nebuchadnezzar is he saw a divine kingdom that one day is going to crush all political world powers that are evil and all human kingdoms will be crushed and stamped out and a divine power will reign forever and ever. Now I want you to carefully notice how verse 35 ends. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain that filled the whole earth. The image is completely removed and replaced by a great power that fills the whole earth and that power is the glory of God. That is what is going to happen one day, ladies and gentlemen. God's going to literally crush out all evil. And then he's going to establish a great kingdom that will exist on earth. And what a day that will be. You'll never turn on the radio or television again and hear of someone being arrested because they molested children. You'll never pick up a newspaper again and read about some drug raid in a meth lab. You're never going to have to worry again about missing young girls. It'll be a kingdom in which this mountain will reign. It'll be that of pure righteousness and truth. Now that brings us to the second observation, the dream interpreted, verses 36 to 45. Now what Daniel does here takes, in my opinion, real courage, because he's about to reveal to Nebuchadnezzar, you're not going to live forever. You remember the wise men kept saying to him, O king, live forever. Daniel's about to tell him you're not going to live forever. In fact, you're going to eventually go out and there are going to be powers that are come behind you, and those powers are going to actually stamp you out, and they're going to overtake you and take your place. Now, it's one thing when you look some friend in the eye and tell him the word of God. It would be one thing if Daniel were talking to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they're going, wow, isn't this interesting? What's going to happen in the plan of God to Nebuchadnezzar? It's quite another to walk into this king and tell it to him right to his face. But that's what Daniel does. It's the same way when it comes to talking about the things of God. It's one thing to talk about the things of God with people who love the Lord. It's one thing to talk about the things of God with your friends and relatives who are of kindred spirit. But you go to your job, someone that is a God-hater or God-mocker, and you talk to them about the things of the Lord, and you'll discover the kind of intimidation Daniel was under. 
Now in these verses, Daniel gives his interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar. And I want you to notice carefully, Daniel says, Now we shall tell its interpretation. Verse 36. We shall tell its interpretation. Daniel, in accordance with the prayers of his friends, and in accordance to God's answer to prayer, would give an interpretation. Daniel moves from top of the statue to the bottom. He's moving down through time. He starts with Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to go right down through time. Political power number one. Babylon was the head of gold to whom God had given great controlling power. That's what he says in verse 37. You, O king, are the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and glory. You are the head of gold, he says at the end of verse 38. Now this power would reign from 606 B.C. to 538 B.C. It was a great conquering power. The dream reveals to Nebuchadnezzar that the reason he was allowed to be in power was because of the God of heaven. Why is gold selected to represent it? There are a couple of possibilities. First of all, Marduk, which was the chief Babylonian deity, was called the god of gold. We also know that Babylon used gold in their buildings and also in their shrines. This must have been somewhat ego-uplifting and ego-inflating to Nebuchadnezzar when he was told, you're the head of gold. The second political power is after Babylon, a second inferior power will arise, which is a silver power. Now the power is not named in verse 39, after you there will arise another kingdom inferior to you, but it is identified in Daniel 8.20, and if you flip over there to Daniel, stop at chapter 5 verse 28, it's revealed there, chapter 5 and verse 28. In chapter 5 and verse 28, Peres, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians. It's clearly identified as who this second power is going to be. It's the Medes and the Persians. This explains the breast and the two arms of the silver power by virtue of the fact you have two arms. You have two things joining together. Medes and Persians, they join two powers together and they would come after Babylon and they would reign from 538 to 333 B.C. Daniel will specifically name this power and describe this power a little later in the book and we'll see it. Medo-Persia and Greece, frankly, were larger in size if you look at geography in which they controlled the world. However, Babylon was far superior to them in central authority and organization, so Medes and Persians and Greece were inferior in central authority and organization. Why did they use silver? Why did God use silver to describe them? Renelde Showers has an interesting perspective of that. He says that these two powers became known for their heavy taxes, and silver is a fitting color of money, which is what those two powers were after. The third political power is after the second power, a third power will arise, which is a bronze power. And he describes that in verse 39. After you, there will be another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth. I want you to notice, it will rule over all the earth. This is a strong legs power, which is Greece. It conquered the world swiftly and controlled the world from 333 B.C. to about 63 B.C. Alexander the Great was the one who really catapulted Greece to the limelight. He is called the greatest military general of ancient times. We'll say a lot more about this specifically as we get into the book of Daniel. But during Alexander's lifetime, his soldiers wore bronze. They dressed in bronze helmets, breastplates, shields, and swords. Bronze was their color. It was Alexander the Great who conquered the world swiftly. In fact, it is said that when he had conquered the world, he sat down and wept because there were no more worlds for him to conquer. The fourth political power, after the third power, a fourth power will arise, which is the iron clay power. The fourth power is comprised of two legs and feet. 
And many, by the way, have referred to the iron legions of Rome, so I think iron is fitting for Rome. Daniel gives a lot more attention, and we'll see it later in this book, to this particular power than he does all the others put together. The power that he describes as the final power is that of Rome. It will be as strong as iron, and it will crush and shatter all things, which means, in God's mind, there was absolutely nothing constructive about that power. Its feet are made partly of iron, partly of clay. It has the ability to crush and be crushed. It will be a divided kingdom. And many have concluded by this, the emphasis of two legs and feet and ten toes, that this is going to be a real divided kingdom comprised of a whole bunch of people. This kingdom will not rule all at one time. It will rule for a while. Then it's going to be revived to rule later again. It didn't go away. The fact of the matter is, when the Roman Empire split, and it did split, it divided. In fact, it divided even as early as AD 360 when you had two capitals. You had Rome and Constantinople, which became two capitals of Rome. There was division in the early days of the Roman Empire. No power from a world perspective has ever replaced the Roman Empire. It's like it's still in existence, and it will be a bunch of mixed nations. That's where that iron clay thing, and that's exactly what has happened. This nation is hid out in other nations today. You've got the Roman Empire hid out in Italy. You have the Roman Empire that's hid out in Great Britain, Germany, Spain. It's all been split up and divided up every once in a while. Someone has tried to unite the world again and get it under one world power. Attila the Hun tried it. Napoleon tried it. Charlemagne tried it. Adolf Hitler tried it. Mussolini tried it, but they haven't been able to do it. But it's predicted that there will come a revival of this particular part of the world, and it will feature ten toes, ten nations, which is exactly what is predicted in the book of Revelation, that there will be a ten-nation confederacy that will form during the days of the Antichrist, and he'll be able to do it. He'll revive the Roman Empire. He'll make a one-world government, and they will stand side by side, just as toes stand side by side. So those ten nations will stand side by side in their all-out assault against God. The fifth political power is that after this power, God will set up his kingdom that will never be destroyed. Verses 44 and 45, God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that is a reference to Jesus Christ coming to establish his kingdom on earth And by virtue of the fact that this kingdom has not yet been established, by virtue of the fact that we are not living yet free from evil, we know we're in this fourth kingdom era. We're in the Roman era of controlling the world. It just hasn't surfaced yet. It just hasn't been revived yet, but oh, I think it's near. But I want you to understand something, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus is going to crush these powers, and they'll never rise up again. All Gentile powers will come crashing down and Jesus Christ will one day reign in total righteousness and Israel will shine. Now that's exactly what Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar. Which brings us to the third part. Nebuchadnezzar responds to Daniel's interpretation, verses 46 to 49. At the time of Nebuchadnezzar, what's so amazing is if you look and try to figure out what was Persia doing at the time Daniel tells this to Nebuchadnezzar in about 600 B.C. I mean, you got this 20-year-old guy and they're telling Nebuchadnezzar this. What's Persia doing? What was Greece doing? What was Rome doing? As near as I can determine from history, Persia was a state. Sure didn't look like it was going to become a world power at the time Daniel makes this prediction. Greece was nothing more than a bunch of warring tribes that were hit out in mountainous regions. 
and Rome was a little village on the Tiber River. This is a remarkable prediction. By saying these are the powers who are going to come after you, you're looking at that going, well, how are they going to... How are they going to come up in power when they don't look like much now? But when Nebuchadnezzar knew this, he knew he was hearing the truth, and he responded in seven responses. First of all, he falls prostrate before Daniel. Verse 46 says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel. Now, typically, kings do not bow before anyone. Typically, a guy like Nebuchadnezzar has people bow before him. This is amazing. You're seeing a Babylonian king bowing before a non-Babylonian Jew. Flavius Josephus, in his history, says that Alexander the Great once did that. He once bowed down before a high priest of the Jews, and one of his generals asked him, Why are you doing that? Why are you bowing down? Here you are, Alexander the Great. You're bowing down before a high priest of the nation Israel. He is reported to have said, I am bowing before the God who would have us honor his high priest. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar was doing. He was bowing before God who would have him honor Daniel. The second response is Nebuchadnezzar gives a praise offering to Daniel. He says that he gave orders to present him an offering and fragrant incense. Now there have been some critics of the book of Daniel who said he shouldn't have accepted this offering, but Daniel has already given all of the glory to God. He's not trying to take credit that belongs to God. God honors those who honor him. Listen. I can't stress this enough to you young people. You will end up more honored in your personal world if you honor God. You'll end up far more honored in life if you honor the Lord than if you don't. Look at what's happening here to Daniel. He has a heathen king honoring him because he honored God. You purpose to obey the word of God. You purpose to honor the Lord and watch what he'll do in your world. Watch what he'll do in your life. Thirdly, Nebuchadnezzar praises the greatness of God. Verse 47, the king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods, a Lord of kings. This is an idolater acknowledging the true God of the Bible. In fact, he does not even mention his own gods. Listen, there are Christians today that do not have as much sense as Nebuchadnezzar has in this verse. Nebuchadnezzar says there is a God who can reveal mysteries. So many people get running around to crazy things trying to find answers to questions to life when there is a God who can reveal answers to life's most complex questions. Snuggle up to that God. Get to know his word. He'll direct your paths. The fourth response is Nebuchadnezzar gives Daniel a promotion. He gives Daniel an exalted position. Now why is Daniel getting this position? Because he can walk in and unravel God's word. That's what he can do. And because he can unravel God's truth, he's being promoted. Fifthly, Nebuchadnezzar gives Daniel several presents. Verse 48 says, The king gave him many great gifts. The word great means he gave Daniel all kinds of gifts. They were expensive. There were many gifts. Nebuchadnezzar was led to do this. Daniel's not begging for any of this. He's not trying to manipulate this. He's not saying, now let's all close our eyes and let's take an offering. He's not doing that. Nebuchadnezzar is just led of God to do these things. The sixth response is Nebuchadnezzar gives Daniel great power. Notice in verse 48, Daniel became ruler over the whole province of Babylon. He became ruler of Babylon, including over all men that Nebuchadnezzar deemed as wise men. And the seventh response is Nebuchadnezzar gives three Jewish friends a promotion, and he also promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had shared with Daniel in the prayer, and now they're sharing with Daniel in the promotion. Now, how did all this happen? What you have are four faithful Jewish young men 
controlling the Babylonian government, which is controlling the world, how does that happen? How do you get a guy like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego on top of a heathen world and lecturing there? How do you get a guy like Mordecai, who's in Susa, telling Xerxes the will of God? How do you get an Apostle Paul who's standing in the Forum of Rome and he's lecturing the emperor and all the leaders about Jesus Christ and faith in him? Who causes all of this stuff? Who's controlling this? The God of heaven. And what made those kinds of men so powerful is that they could see the truth and reveal the truth. That's what made them so valuable. Listen. You will never be more powerful in your life and in your world than when you're right with God, you know the truth of God, and you communicate that truth accurately. That's when you're at a high honorable level and a usable level. And by the way, you may be here today, and you may not have any relationship with Jesus Christ, and your opinion is, I'll just take my chances. I'm going to take my chance in the world. Do you see what Daniel says is going to happen to this world? It's going to be crushed. You'll be crushed. You don't have a chance. Take your own chance. You're going to lose. But why not place your faith in Jesus Christ and win? May we pray. Our only escape for a relationship with God is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. So in order for us to even begin to have wisdom, we must have Christ in our life. Perhaps you're here today and you've never invited Jesus Christ into your personal life to be your Savior and your life is filled with all kinds of chaos and problems. Listen, I've got great news for you. Many of us had lives just like that. But there was a point in time where we yielded him to the Lord Jesus Christ and he put us on a whole new course. He cleaned it all up and he'll do it for you. Right now in this moment where you sit, you pray something like this. God, I know I'm a sinner. I thank you that Jesus died for me and I want him in my life. And right now I believe on him. Father, thank you so much for the precious word of God. May we be Daniel people, people who come to understand your word and communicate it accurately and effectively. In Jesus' name, amen.